And so here we are on a fellowship Sunday, uh, which, give, which gives me opportunity maybe to touch on topics that uh, I think would be good for us as, as a local church, as, as a local body. And so that's what I'm going to do. And uh, I'm going to share just a little bit on uh, really an opportunity just to remind us what God has called us to do and, and who we are as a people. Uh, this week, um, my wife, family, and I were able to get out of town. We went to Pennsylvania to go see some of our pastor friends that are in Pennsylvania just outside of Pittsburgh. And if you were my Facebook friend, you would see these wonderful pictures. I never knew Pittsburgh uh, was as beautiful a city as it was since the steel mills. I know, unfortunately, shut down some years ago. It has, it has cleaned all of the soot and the, and the haze of the area. And we were able to be in the downtown Pittsburgh area on Monday night, and it was clear sky, low 80s. Uh, wow. It was like, this is amazing. And we were able to go up. If you've never been to Pittsburgh, actually, it's on this peninsula uh, between two rivers, I, I forget Allegheny and Mahangalea, or I can't pronounce that Indian name. And it forms, I think, the Ohio is what it does. But Pittsburgh sets on that peninsula, so it has a lot of, uh, you know, Charleston aspects, just as our city sits on a peninsula. But at night, we were on this, this hill. Uh, it, it all comes down to form Pittsburgh, but we were on top of this hill. And to see the beauty of that city at night was just amazing. And so uh, it was nice to get out of the 103 temperatures that we have here in Charleston in the summertime to be able to go and in the evening just to have a nice cool evening, clear sky. It was a beautiful area. It was a nice getaway. We don't get to do that often, but we were certainly glad to be able to do that those last few days. So uh, anyway, uh, some of the men will remember Pastor Rick Paladin. You remember Band of Brothers, Pastor Rick? I saw him. He says, hello. He's excited about all you guys coming up to Band of Brothers. Also, Pastor Keith Tusi, And uh, you're going to get to meet Keith if you haven't. He's going to be with us in January uh, as the year turns. So uh, that'll be exciting as well. And he's a great speaker, and you'll enjoy him very much. But anyway, we got out of town. Now we're back in the hunt. And I was just thinking as I was driving down the road that this morning was just going to be one of those mornings I just wanted to stir the troops, rally the troops, kind of remind you of of all the things that God has caused us to be. And I know the kids are here in service. We have a lunch waiting for us, and uh, we are sensitized to that. But in the few moments that I have, I just want you to give me your attention. In fact, if if the kids can and they can listen as they color, I hope they will, because I want to just sow some things out there that I think will enlarge you and help you as we continue to go forward. About a year ago, I had a conversation with Pastor Mike Ware. He's a pastor in Colorado, actually in Denver, Colorado. And we were sitting around a table with several other pastors and we were talking about the vision thing. And uh, for a pastor, the vision thing basically is why is it you you are here and what is it that God has called you to do and and all of those sorts of questions. And as we were talking about this, uh, he shared around that table something that really captured my attention And it made a lot of sense to me. In fact, beyond making sense, I felt like it was the Lord. He said, you know, we have vision in our local church, just like every local church has vision. But we came to the conclusion uh, some years ago that uh, while there's vision, according to the Bible, vision is always morphing and transforming. In fact, the Bible says where there is no progressive ongoing revelation, the people perish. 
What that means is, is that vision isn't static. There's always an enlarging aspect to it. There's always a progressive aspect to it. It works that way in your life. You know, some of you, your vision when you were a young person was your vision was to get married. And then once you got married, you had to get another vision. Maybe your vision was to survive your marriage. I don't know. But, but it, it, it morphs. It progresses. You have a vision to get this job. Once you get the job, then you have a vision for for promotion maybe, or for open doors. So you should understand easily there's a progression or a morphing to vision. And he said that because of that, he understood that, that to give vision statements, they were either going to change through the years or change a lot, or there was something else that perhaps God would want the church to communicate. And so he shared with us the concept of an existence statement. He said, you know, people need to know why we exist. Everybody should assume we're going somewhere. Hopefully you sense legacies going somewhere. But there's a reason why we exist. And sometimes it's really important to be reminded who we are, why we exist, and to reestablish or reaffirm these things in our lives. And so as he was sharing all of these things, it just was clicking a number of things off in my mind and in my spirit. I came back, I even tweaked the website, and I know everybody will go home this afternoon and and, and take a look at it. It's been there for quite some time now. But while we have a vision statement and values that are enumerated on the website, we now have an existence statement. Why do we exist? Who are we as a people? It's good to know that you're going somewhere, but it's most important, I think, to know who you are. And uh, I want to share a little bit on that this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you're at liberty to find Acts chapter 19. And then I'm going to be reading out of Matthew 16. So Acts 19 and then Matthew 16. If you don't have your Bible with you, the good news is we're going to post it on the screen here in just a moment. And I've simply entitled the message, Who Are We? Who Are We? And Jerry, if you can post that, I'll just read it from the screen this morning. Acts chapter 19, I want to begin with verse 13. I'm going to read through the 15th verse. This is what we read. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you or we deliver you by the, you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Verse 14, and also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. Verse 15, and the evil spirit answered. Now, it's not often a demon has it, but it's got it this time. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? Now, let me just give you a little context to this story. The story was the Jewish exorcists were watching Paul and other disciples move through the city and people that had demons or demonic influence in their life, they were watching Paul lay hands on them and they were being set free or they were being delivered. And of course, being very pragmatic ministries, they saw what was happening. They weren't having the same sort of of results in their particular ministry. So they decided they were going to hijack what Paul was doing And what they did was they they hijacked the formula, but they didn't have the substance. So what they did was they heard what he was saying and kind of saw what he was doing. And so they just did the same thing. And they said, "In in the name of Jesus, of whom Paul preaches. 
come out. And what happened was the, the demon manifested and, and says that interesting phrase. It says, I know, I know Jesus. This is a demon now. I know Jesus and I know Paul. But who are you? Who are you? And as I was thinking about this morning and again reading that, it came to my mind. I thought to myself, you know, the reason, the reason those Jewish, Jewish exorcists were powerless was because they did not know their identity. They had not, they had not sealed, they had not, they had not wrapped themselves up into something like Paul had already done that caused them to have authority to be able to do what Paul did. They had no sense of identity and the demon recognized it. He says, I recognize the identity of Jesus. I get who Paul is, but I don't know who you are. And because I don't know who you are, then there is no authority for me to go anywhere. And what eventually happens is, is this demon-possessed man jumps on top of all these people who are trying to exorcise him and uh, they run off. Literally, he tears off all their clothes and they run off naked. How many of you know that would be embarrassing? Extremely embarrassing. But it all zeroed back to a loss of identity. There's an interesting story that Jesus gets into with some of the disciples in Matthew 16 that began to speak to me in a whole different way. Matthew 16, 13, we read this. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus is in this conversation with his disciples and he asks them for their knowledge on who people all around are identifying him as. And it's interesting that as the disciples share with him kind of what the scoop is with regards to the general population, most people were not getting who his identity really was. Now, they understood that he was this big-time teacher. In fact, they labeled him perhaps as John the Baptist, as Elijah. They knew him to be a prophet. But they really hadn't gotten the whole scoop yet. They hadn't gotten who Jesus' identity was. And so he turns and he says, well, okay, that's what, that's what the polls say. That's what the populace says. Now, now, gentlemen, what do you say? And interestingly, for all of Peter's faults, he's the only one this time that gets it right. He steps into it and, and he says, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus casts a blessing. He says, you're blessed. And he says that upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, now I want you to listen very carefully because I'm going to springboard off this in a little bit different way. It just spoke to me in a little bit different way. That I, that I think you will understand and, and it's legitimate. But as I was reading this, I, I, I saw, really I saw a new feature. I was coming to an understanding that for the Lord to build a nation-shaking church, then there are two things we're going to have to understand. If the Lord's going to build a nation-shaking church, two things 
we're going to have to understand, number one, who Jesus is. We're going to have to absolutely get a revelation of who he is. And then the second thing is who we are in him. You need to write those two things down. If you want to be a nation-shaking person, if you want to make a difference, you got to know who Jesus is, and then you need to know who you are in him. As I was reading this whole interaction between Jesus and the disciples, it just lit in me that a principle was going on here. Jesus said, until we get the identity question right, you'll never prevail against the gates of hell. Now, I want you to hear me because sometimes people get a misconception through this picture. We see, we see these gates and, and, and the gates of Hades, and we aren't quite sure how this works. It says that the gates of Hades cannot prevail against us. Well, can I just share this with you? Everybody's seen a gate before, right? If you have never seen a gate, go out in the foyer, and right there behind the info desk is a big gate. You're following me. Gates, listen to me, gates really don't move. But for years, I've listened to people teach this passage and, and share on this passage, and, and, and they mean well, but I think they've got it wrong. Somehow we've got this picture that somehow the gates of hell are, are moving and it's not, going to, it's not going to prevail against us. Or somehow or in other words, they're moving and we're in this sort of defensive posture and the gates of hell are not going to encroach upon us in any way, shape, or form because, praise God, we're the church. That's not exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was working from the perspective and the assumption that the gates of hell are static. They are, they are, they are, they are planted. And, and when he said that upon this revelation upon this rock, I'm going to build my church so that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The assumption behind that is it's not the gates that are moving. It's we who are moving. It's we who are moving and we are crashing the gates of hell. Whatever hell has under its dominion, whatever, whatever hell has under its hold, the church is called and commissioned to crash through those gates and to take back what is rightfully ours in him. Now, how many of you know there are some things that hell has a hold of? And our commission, because we know Him and who we are in Him, we know that our commission is, as the church, we're not just to be in this defensive posture, sort of this hold-the-fort mode, you know, you know swing, swing back our gates, lock them down, batten the hatches, the world's out there. We don't want the world coming in here. Let me tell you, the best defense we've got is a great offense. And God has called us literally to arise and to break through the gates of hell because of who Jesus is. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross and for three days he went to hell itself. He broke through literally the gates of hell. Colossians 2.15, I'm not mistaken, or 3.15, says that, that he made public display of all powers and principalities. He exercised dominion over it all. What did Jesus do? He broke through the gates of hell. Now we have him in us. Our call as the people of God is to find those areas that hell has held up and break through those areas. All right? Now, it's not because of us, but it's because of Him who's in us. We, 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 we couldn't, 
Well, I'll just put it to you this way. We have a hard enough time corralling the nursery. Let me tell you, if we don't have an anointing to parent and to minister, I mean, we aren't going anywhere. You're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to have to have an anointing. We're going to have to have him at work in our life in order to do these things. Now, now this identity thing, it just sort of captured me. And, and I've already shared this with... Uh, uh, our leaders, and I've shared this with those that uh, went through new members. And I just, I want to share this with the whole body. I want everybody just to get on the same page. I, 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 want, I want us to understand really who we are. Now, this is in Him. Who we are in Him. Um, I want to share with you what we're becoming in Him. You know, we may not hit all these things perfectly, but, but some of these things I'm going to share with you this morning are, are really targets that we've either hit or, or we're shooting at to hit. We may not be perfect, but we're in a pursuit. Amen? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm perfect, but I'm pursuing. And, and I just want us to be reminded, some of these things, you'll instantly go, oh yeah, that is who we are. But, but if, I, if I speak these things, and even if they don't exist like I wanted, if I speak those things that be not as though they were, guess what? They'll begin to manifest. I believe that even in church life. That's why pastors preach things. That, that aren't manifest yet because we're believing and calling those things that be not as though they were. But let me just share with you several things by way of identity that I believe Jesus has made us and is causing us to be in order that we can crash the gates of hell. I believe God's calling you personally and us corporately to begin to crash the domain of darkness. We're no longer just fending off the fiery darts of the enemy. Yes, you need to fend them off. But there comes a moment when you quit being target practice for the enemy and you start pillaging the strong man's house and taking back what is rightfully yours. These are some things that I believe in him he's created us to be that I'm just declaring out loud. Number one, I'm going to put it just like this. We are an off-the-chain people. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, off the chain is one of those modern phrases that maybe the young kids use. Of course, they might not use it anymore. They may say, oh, pastor, that's so old. You know, I'm just, hey, I'm slow. I'm old and I'm slow. I'm just catching up. We are an off the chain people. Off the chain means is that you're passionate. You, you, there's something in you that's, that's exuberant. You're not, you're not living for the lowest common denominator. You're off the chain. You're, you're, you're living beyond uh, normal expectation. And in a day when superficiality seems to be venerated, in a day where everybody's living their Christianity compartmentalized, where they say to themselves, well, I know church is church and business is business and, and my life is my life. And they have this way of just compartmentalizing and segmenting their life off to where, you know, they can live one way on Sunday, but they'll live another way on Monday. In a day where it seems like that seems so prevalent in American culture, I want you to know that we're an off-the-chain people. That's normal for legacy. And so we're passionate. We're passionate about our lives because He is in our life. We are passionate about our worship. We're passionate about how we walk with the Lord. We're passionate about our witness. You say, I don't know that I'm all that passionate. Well, I'm calling that which is not as though it were. You say, I don't know that I'm off the chain. Ah, you are now off the chain in Jesus' name. Because that's who we are. This isn't just 
one day a week. This is 24-7, 365, every living, breathing day of my life. I am, I'm telling you, I'm going to be 90 years old, screaming my lungs out for people to know Jesus. It's not a phase we're going through. It's not a marketing technique. It's who we are. We are off the chain as a people. Come on, we are living in an era. I just There are so many weird and wild things out there, and we are so tepid with the world. It is time they were confronted with some passion in our religion. I'm sorry, we've got Muslims who will blow themselves up in order to get to heaven to get whatever it is, carnal desire, they get to have. 72 virgin women waiting for them. I don't even know how that works. They blow themselves up. They kill themselves to get to God. Let, let me tell you something. Jesus died for you so you wouldn't have to die in order that you could live passionately His life in the earth. We've got something to say. I mean, they're throwing out their, their, their prayer claws six times a day facing towards Mecca. It's hard to get people just to say, God bless you at the grocery store. We are an off-the-chain people. That's number one. I just want you to know who we are. If you've come in here and you're a guest, what a great day for you to be here. Because I'm just going to drop the truck on you today. I'm just, this is who we are. This is who I am. This is what we're becoming, an off-the-chain people. We are serious about serving the Lord. I'll say it again. Are we always perfect? Probably not. We are in pursuit. If you're looking for perfection, I'm sorry, it won't be here. But you will find those in pursuit, pursuing all that God has. Number two, just telling you who we are. We connect the dots. This is one of my favorite phrases. Connect the dots. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that lives collapse because people do not understand God's ways. Now, I, I'm even saying for some that love the Lord. They love the Lord. They, they, they truly would come to worship Him. If you ask, do you believe and do you love? And, and they would give you affirmative answers in all of these areas. But their lives are still collapsing. Why is that? It's because they have failed to connect the dots. They do not understand that just because you love the Lord does not automatically mean everything works out okay. You can love the Lord and be highly dysfunctional. And so he gives us his word. He gives us his ways. He gives us his precept in order that we can read it, implement it, connect the dots in our life. How many of you remember growing up? Whenever I went on vacation, my mom would always buy me or, or, or dad or somebody would buy me one of those connect the dot coloring books. Remember those? And, and that's what we did in the back seat for however many hours we do all those pages of connect the dots. And what was interesting about it is you never got the, the picture and you really didn't know what the picture was until you connected all the dots. Now, that's a real simple illustration just to leave you with by saying that until you connect the dots in God's word, you will never get the life you have envisioned or pictured. You got to begin to connect some dots. And most of the time I've found in my life that if something is not operating according to design or according to promise, it's some area maybe that I've not connected the dot in. That's what we do here. We help people connect dots. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why I encourage you to bring it on Sunday morning, to read it. 
we regularly want to go through the scriptures. We, we, we value things like prayer at 9.30 every Sunday, Tuesday mornings. We have predominantly ladies that come in to pray. But, but we just believe that these are the things that causes life to work when you begin to connect the dots. You, you can't go forward unless you're praying people. You, you, you can't understand what God's up to until you understand that there are precepts we have to implement. And so when you come to Legacy, welcome to Connect the Dots Center. Because that's what we do, connect the dots. It's the only antidote. We can't just say, I love God and do as we please. You got to love God and connect the dots. Number three, this is the best one. I had such fun with this one. We are comfortable in our skin. I'm just telling you who we are. We're comfortable in our skin. (sighs) Legacy is not designed on purpose. Is not designed to be like any other church you've been to. You know what? If I was like some other church, what what that is called is redundant. We, we bless everyone. We, we believe there are great works of God all over this region, all over America, and all over the world. No throwing stones here. We love people. We understand they're great, wonderful Christian people in all kinds and sorts of churches that are loving God. They're orthodox. They're doing what God's asked them to do. And, and we bless that. But hear me right now. We are who we are. We are who we are. We embrace uniqueness. We realize that maybe that maybe it's not church marketing that says we ought to jump up and down and lift our hands and shout our brains out. Maybe maybe other churches don't do that and and people who, you know, are more comfortable in a more kind of docile environment would go there. God bless them. We shout because the Bible says shout unto God with a voice of triumph. The Bible says clap your hands all ye people. This is what the scripture says. And that's just who we are. Are there going to be some that don't like that or don't get it? I'm quite sure there are. So I'm glad that God's given them somewhere to go. But for someone who wants something real and passionate, you dropped into the right location. I've had people say, well, if you'd stop doing that, you'd attract more people. Well, my issue isn't attracting more people. My issue is attracting God. That's a part of... The call of God on our lives. I mean, that's, I hope that's why you're here. We're in pursuit of God together. We're, we're loving people, reaching people, sharing the gospel, witnessing our faith, setting people free, loosing them from their bonds. Yes, all of these. Yes, we deliver demons. Yes, we do. Even on Sunday mornings, it's happened on occasion. Yes, we do. And we're comfortable with that. Just be comfortable with that. Someone says, you're weird. Just say, yeah, you're right. Because the Bible says we're a peculiar people. We, we value that verse. So when someone calls you peculiar, you can say, yes, scriptural, right there. Comfortable in our skin. See, I, I get it. I, I, it's just, see, once you, once you solve the identity issue you can build on that see that's what jesus said to peter he says upon this revelation now that you've got identity figured out i can build something on that that can begin to move into hell's territory once you get the identity question settled who jesus is 
and who we are in him. Number four, we are an Ace Hardware and not a Home Depot. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't go to Home Depot because, you know, Home Depot is uh, affirming and underwriting a lot of the, of the homosexual agenda. And so I'm just not going to fund things that are tearing down civilization as we know it. So most of the time I go to Lowe's. But Lowe's and Home Depot are somewhat similar. Oh, and by the way, there are people who would say, I can't believe you'd say that on a Sunday morning, what you just said. Listen, if somebody doesn't start saying what nobody else wants to say, people aren't going to know the truth. I'm not looking, I'm not looking to make an enemy. I'm not looking to make an enemy, but someone's got to speak the truth. And by the way, I'll just say it because we love people. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sad for people no matter what sin they're bound in. And I'll be the first one to say that, that the gay lifestyle is not our only problem. Gossip's a problem too. I mean, I could go down the list. I understand there's not one sin greater than another. But the problem is, I, you know, we're not asking for governmental subsidies of one particular sin. And nor are we trying to rewrite what has served us well for millennium of time called marriage. All right? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, since it served us so well for thousands of years, I'm just a little hesitant to change it now. But if someone doesn't share that with you, how are you going to know? Because if you're more worried about who comes in those doors, then what happens is, is that you bring it all back down to the lowest common denominator and you're no longer an off-the-chain people. So we're in Ace Hardware. We, we help people get what they need to succeed. Whenever I go to Lowe's, this is the interesting thing about Lowe's. I'll go into Lowe's, now, and I go into Lowe's all the time, so this is not slander. I'll go into Lowe's, but when I go into Lowe's, I basically am looking at the, I'm looking at the aisles and looking, okay, I think what I need is in this aisle, and I go down this aisle, and sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not, and so then I'll walk around to the next aisle, and, and maybe after a while, I'll run down somebody in a red vest, and I'll say, hey, can you help me find something? And most of the time, they're very helpful when I run them down, and they'll go, uh, help me locate that. Okay, that's kind of how it works when you go into a Lowe's or a Home Depot. Now, if you ever go down to Charleston Hardware or Ace Hardware, the minute you walk in those doors, somebody says, what can I help you find? Instantly. Now, the reason they do that is because they understand that they fulfill a different niche than Lowe's or Home Depot. Now, nobody's going to bug the fire out of you. Just let me say this. If, if you're not ready for something or you're not there, we, un, you know, we're not, we're not, we can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. But you hang around here for a few weeks and eventually you're going to have someone say, hey, you know what? I believe this could help you if you went to life groups, if you went to Ironman, if you went to Women of Power, if you were here at prayer time, uh, when discovery classes start again, there's an encounter coming up, uh, there's this event that's going on. And we, we are more than happy to help you get you to the place where you succeed because here's what I believe. I believe that you can't let people just do it on their own because if they could do it on their own, they'd be where they need to be. So we need, at times, somebody lovingly, caringly, certainly not leveraging, not, not putting them on the spot. You can't control people. I get it. But someone's got to look you in the eye and say, Hey, have you ever thought about going to an encounter? Because you can get fixed from that wound that's oozing out of your mouth right now. Now, someone will probably do that better than I just did it. But you're following what I mean. We want to help people get to the place where they're whole. And can I just say that? Those of you that have taken the journey here for a number of years, 
And, and it's just not what Trace and I think. I'm telling you, we got pastors come from all over the place last February. The reports we got just on our people would cause a spiritual daddy to smile. Because I, I heard it over and over again. They said, I can't believe your folks serve. They have good spirits. They did, and they're going, yep, 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 yep. Why? Because they're just whole. They're whole people. Are they perfect people? No, they're not perfect people. But they're pursuing people. Number five. We embrace the place of authority. Now, those of you that are coming to plugged in classes, I will assure you this, this will get covered on a multitude of weeks. And the reason it gets covered is because I am convinced that there has never been a committee or even a church board that has shaken a nation. I, if, no one, if I don't tell you this, who will tell you this? I understand people say, well, there needs to be checks and balances. Yes, there does. There, there's a legal way of doing things, and we are thoroughly legal here. We fulfill every IRS code. We fulfill all the requirements upon us as a nonprofit organization. But this much I will share with you. We believe that an army takes territory because there's leadership in it. If an army had to sit around and, 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 and make decisions based on consensus, oftentimes battles, well, they'd never be fought. Because everybody tried to figure out a different way to do it besides the way that's so obvious in front of a leader. And we believe in the place of authority. I believe that legacy is designed in such a way that as vision comes, this is how God has done it all through his word. God, God didn't give uh, the Jewish slaves in Egypt, he did not give the board of elders there in Egypt the plan to get out of Pharaoh's bondage. You understand that, right? They had elders in Egypt. But they didn't give all the boards and the committees and all the whiners and the complainers. They didn't give them... God didn't give them the, the template to get out of Egypt. What did he do? He gave Moses a plan, a mandate, an anointing. And I'm just telling you, one guy couldn't do what four million people had been complaining about for four centuries. That's how God does things. Why does he do that? It's because who to thunk Moses? They would, have, they would have taken the glory on themselves, whereas if one person God uses, there's an ability to say, ain't no other way to explain that except God moved in that situation. And then when Moses couldn't get him in the promised land, he raised up Joshua. And then when the Midianites surrounded them later in the book of Judges, he gave them a Gideon. When the walls had fall down, fell down, he gave them a Nehemiah. It's not that God doesn't need a team. It's not that he doesn't use other people. Moses and Joshua and Nehemiah and Gideon and all these people. Jesus himself needed people around him. But I'm telling you, we are an army. All through scripture, the church is compared to, yes, a family, a body, and an army. And there's this, this sensitivity that's coming up in our era here lately where, where everybody's kind of backing away. You under, I just heard Campus Crusade for Christ has taken out Crusade and Christ from their name. You know what? No, you just go, go, go Google it. Maybe I, if, I, if I have it wrong, I'll recant it. But they've switched their name. Why have they switched their name? Because the Crusade gives an, an intimation that somehow or another, back in the 12th century when we were doing Crusades and, and, and there was these fights between Roman Catholicism and the Muslims, you know, the Crusade has... Sort of this violent overtone. Well, what are we going to do? We are the army of God. That's what the Bible says. We used to sing onward Christian soldiers. 
I guess we got to change our hymns now too, don't we? It is time. Listen, we are the army of God. This place functions as an army. Now, it, we don't war with flesh and blood. We're not taking up Uzis and AK-47s and we're not strapping bombs. That's not how the battle's fought. The battle's not fought in the flesh. It's fought in the spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And we pick up our armament in the spirit. And we are the army of God. And a part of that is working under authority. And we aggressively, we aggressively defend that. Yes, that's, that's a part of our uniqueness. Now, you say, well, other churches don't do that. Well, guess what? The name out front says legacy. doesn't say other churches. The place of authority. Number six, I'm just telling you who we are. I don't know if you're getting anything out of it. I'm enjoying myself immensely right now. <laughs> Every now and then, I just think pastor ought to like what he's saying. Number six, we're a generation of honor. Honor. I unashamedly believe, and we have practiced this. We, we probably have areas we could do a little better in. But we believe that wherever honor is sowed, it is reaped. Therefore, we give honor. We try to give honor to whom honor is due. When we have guest speakers, I know many times, I'll tell you, let's give them a great legacy welcome, and you all are pretty much uh, keyed into what that means. We stand to our feet, and we give the servant of the Lord honor. We had our past uh, music minister transition. We gave her honor. We do our best to honor where honor is due. We, 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 we realize that God works in honor. If the President of the United States were to come here, even though I, I disagree with just about everything politically imaginable, but we would honor the President of the United States because we give honor to whom honor is due. You understand honor. We, 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 we need to teach our kids how to honor their parents and honor their teachers and honor their pastors. And, and honor. You want your kids to go far? Teach them to honor. If, you, if they'll learn to honor, they'll fall into favor. We, we, Proverbs 30, read that sometime. It says there's a generation that's wise in its own eyes. If you were to read uh, Proverbs 30, it says a generation is wise in its own eyes. It despises its mother. It despises its father. It despises all authority. And it talks about how they're destroying themselves. That's sort of a prophetic picture of today. There's such dishonor in the earth. There's dishonor in Washington, D.C. There's dishonor in Columbia. There's dishonor in the church. If they don't begin to see a template in the church of how life is to be lived abundantly, where are they going to see it? Listen, I have a lot of affinity toward conservative talk radio and, and Tea Party and all these other things. Don't misunderstand me. I'm politically pretty conservative. But the one, the one fracture in all of this is, is that they don't understand honor. They don't understand honor. And while I agree with some of the precept, I disagree with the dishonor. They're just dishonorable. But we're, we're going we're gonna to sow honor. And in that, we will reap favor. Number seven, we give over the top willingly. Now I'm just giving you our identity. We give over the top willingly. Everybody, staff, leadership, the whole church. We just, we just are going to give over the top. Just like we're off the chain, we're going to give over the top. I, hey, listen, you came into this world with nothing, you're going out of this world with nothing. So hanging on to it isn't going to help you any. So you know what I found out? I found out that if I start giving it away, God gives me more. 
And I've had people say, well, well, I don't have any more. Well, you know, it's just money. Go make some more. Come on now. Whether it's our time, our talent, our treasure, we're going beyond minimum expectation. We're going to do some things sacrificially. Come on, we're nation shakers. We're not, we're not trying to hold on to everything we've got because we think whoever has the most at the end wins. That's not how it works. It's who's ever given it all away wins. We're here to disciple nations. The vision, you understand, is more than we've got. And so we're going to have to give everything we've got over the top willingly. Number eight, we serve a king. We serve a king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus, his name is an excellent name. It is befitting, therefore, of our best efforts. If the, if the president were coming here or some other notable person were coming to visit us, we would put forth our best efforts. When we had pastors last February come from all over the country, you understand, we put forth our best effort. Why? Did we do it just for them? No, we wanted to be good to our guests because just like hopefully at your house, when there are guests that come to your house, you probably tidy or try to tidy a few things up before the guests come over. But we serve a king, and we just don't do it on special occasions, but we do it on all occasions. Why? It's because excellence is befitting the king. Excellence isn't always expensive. I realize we have a church budget. We can only do what we have available. But excellence is giving the best of what we have. And you need to give the best of what you have to Jesus all the time. If we're to do everything as unto the Lord, then if you're going to work tomorrow morning, you need to give it the best you can give it, not because of your boss, but because of Jesus, who is the one that oversees everything. We give it our best. There are Sundays, you may not believe this, but there are literally are Sundays that I've come to church and I will say to Trace, you know, Trace, I'm just gonna, I, I just need to talk to the people today. I don't need to get too wound up. I'm just going to talk to the folk. I'm just going to share with them a little bit. I'm not going to take much time because sometimes I go a little long. So I'm not going to take much time. And, and, and I just need to do that. And I get in here. And I, you know what? I'm going to blame you because you worship the anointing in the place. So I'm just going to blame you. I'm just going to blame it on, on your doorstep, your fault. But what happens is, is that you just get to this moment and you're saying, I can't do this half-hearted. I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't do this running 50 miles an hour when the car will go 120. I don't know any other way but to put the pedal down. Let it rip potato chip. Give it everything you've got. I mean, there are, there are sometimes I will, I will redo messages, and, and, but I guarantee you, there is, there is never a time that I, I simply go to a barrel and pull out something, some dead letter and just going to talk to the people again. Somehow, some way, you're going to get the best I've got. I came in here one time, I had 101 fever. Remember that? I had the big old mark on my forehead like the mark of the beast was right there. I, I confirmed some people's suspicions that morning with that big old. Because the, the night before, I, I, I had a flu and I passed out and I hit, I hit this chair. I was telling people I passed out and hit a bar chair, but then they thought I was in a bar somewhere. And 
And that morning, you know, my wife said, you don't have to do this. But there's just something in me that says, I can do no other. Why? It's because he's deserving of everything we've got. If, if he's going to take me out, he's going to take me out preaching his word, not sick on some deathbed, wheezing and drooling and, and somehow impotent. I'm going to give everything I've got every minute of the day, 24-7, 365. That's the only way I know it. That's how I got saved. I don't know how you got saved. That's how I got saved. 34 years ago now, I got saved. It's still reverberating in my system. I don't understand, I don't understand people who get saved, but then somehow or another, it's, they, can't, they can't get up on Sunday. I don't know what salvation you got. See, I'm telling you, the anointing hit. It's y'all's fault. We're serving a king. He deserves our best. All we've got. Number nine, I'm, I'm, I'm closing. It's my first closing. We have lost the word impossible. We have lost the word impossible. You say, well, I don't know, pastor. I, I don't know that we're exactly there. All right, maybe we aren't exactly there. We're pursuing. In order to dominate a city with the gospel of Jesus, we cannot think small. We've got to bust out of our parochial vision. We've got to believe that people will actually, in Charleston, South Carolina, drive across a bridge to come to church. Hey, if we think, somebody said to me years ago, I'll never forget, years ago, we were at another place. They said, well, you know, you can only envision so much because on one side of us is an ocean. It's not like it's Atlanta. You know, Atlanta has a whole metropolitan area that just circles and they can pull from every direction, but not us because we have an ocean on one side of us. Did you think through what you just said? Do you think that God is affected by who he can reach by an ocean? If God wanted to, he could pull the sharks and the tuna and the whales and the dolphins and he could get them to the house of God. He already did it once for Noah. You know that, don't you? Water does not affect God. Listen, we got to lose the word impossible. I've had people not here because you are you got the DNA. So this isn't here. But I've had people away from here when they'll ask about going south of town. And, and the reason I say south of town all the time and I don't say John's Island is because the minute I say John's Island, in some people's minds, they got across the Stono Bridge. Oh my God. You've got to cross a bridge. Stop. The gospel has stopped because of the Stono Bridge. What are you thinking? You know what I believe? I believe the whole metropolitan area can get up on Sunday morning and they can drive south on 17. And make a turn at the Kiowa Turn and go down Main Road. And there's a reason that's called Main Road. Because we're on it now. Go down Main Road. Yes, they can. Well, they're going to, we got to drive an extra three minutes. Do you hear what's coming out of your mouth? 
Hey, a church alive is worth the drive. I guarantee if it were my family, I'd, I'd, I'd drive an hour to get to where God is moving. Wouldn't bother me one bit. Say, well, I just say, you know, I can't get up and do that. Okay, well, then you go find wherever you want to go. We're about, we're all out. We're pursuing God. I realize it isn't going to fit everybody's deal. I get it. I know. I'm not, they're, they're, they love God. They're Christians. They're going to heaven. Hallelujah. But we're leaving a dent in this world. They're going to, they're going to know the people of God have been through town. We've lost the word impossible. That's why when we throw out these goals and they seem impossible, it's because anything less than impossible takes God out of the equation. God is only interested in the impossible. When it's impossible, He gets involved. And maybe it's good just to linger here for just a moment and just say, you know what? There are moments I say to myself, God, can you even work through, can you work through our county government? Yes, he can. It seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Lastly, number 10, and then we got to go eat. We are known for what we serve in the church dinners. No, we are known. We are known for what we are for. Now. I'm going to say something, and I think you know this already. We're against sin. <laughs> yeah, we're against it. Yeah, that's us. We're, we're against it. But having said that, you understand that, that, that we need to be known for not just what we're against, but we need to understand what we're for and where we're going. If I've learned anything from the recent debacle in Washington, D.C., I don't care. Everybody's against everything. I want to know who's for what. Just just give some leadership. Somebody step up and give some leadership. They're so fearful that if they step out, everybody and and they're probably rightly so, everybody starts shooting at them then. But somebody's got to stand up and say, this is what we're for. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And we will be known for what we are for. We, we are for setting people free. We are for leading people to the cross. We are for putting the cross central and focal in the ministry. We are a full gospel. Holy Ghost, over the top. Speak in tongues. Get with it. Lift your hands. Sing in the Spirit. Do the Holy Ghost bounce. High energy. Blast them out of their weak ministry. That's what we are. We will practice these precepts. We will practice the positive declaration. If someone looks at you and says, oh, you're one of those, just say, yes. Yes, I am. Glad to be one, too. And if you're really bold, just go shabadaba. The Holy Spirit Inspired Paul to say that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And the Holy Spirit works in an environment of yes and amen. We are known for who we are. And I'll end with this. Don't take what you have 
here today for granted. It's amazing to me. I, I, I suppose there are moments I can be as discouraged as anyone else. You know, we just we kind of enter into those little moments where something's challenging you and you can get a little discouraged. And there are moments, I mean, not, not a lot, but there are moments you can get just a little discouraged. And, and when those moments come, it's like Trace said during intercession time when she said, you know, you just got to go walk the dog and just begin to count your blessings. And don't take for granted where you are and what you've come through and how you got to this place. Let me tell you, most of us got to this place through some challenges. Most of us got to this place maybe through some heartache, some discouragement. But let me tell you something. We're at a place now where I'm telling you people would love to change places with many of you. And they'd love to change places with me even. And, and I hear this all the time when people perhaps are transferred and they, and they have to leave or they're married and they go away or they're somehow or another they, they, they find themselves maybe going to another church or leaving the area and they'll contact me. I have more of these testimonies than I can count. And they'll say, there's just no place quite like legacy. I, I don't say that with any sense of arrogance. I say that with a, an incredible amount of humility because sometimes I don't think those of us who are here really get what we got. God's up to something. He's taken us through some deep water. Yep, he has. Because, because to those he uses greatly, he touches deeply. He, he isn't going to raise you into a nation shaker like you are. He's going to prune you and crucify you and take you through discipling and all sorts of things so that when you're raised up into your place of prominence, it won't go to your head and you get a brain cramp. But you'll be able to stand in that place with a great sense of humility and a God-honoring spirit and says, the only reason I'm here is because of what he has done in me. One of these days, God's going to do that for us as a people. And when that day comes, it's not going to be, look at us, see what we've done. It's going to be, you don't have any idea what we've been through. And the only glory we can get out of this is when we deflect it and give it back to him. It's who he is. And who he is in us. That's who we are. Welcome to Legacy. Stand with me.